Well, good morning, everyone. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, many of you, you know I've known for, for quite a long time. Um, some of you, this is the first time uh, we've met. Uh, so actually, my wife Karen and I, we were Essen's first wedding that he performed. That will be 20 years ago. This past uh, in January it'll be 20 years. And uh, <clears throat> so during the, uh, the homily, uh, Essen, you know, uh, he, you know, he was sharing the message and he, he famously said, um, you know, if you have a marriage where God is not the center, then you're like two ticks with no dog. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of people were a little confused by that, but <clears throat> I, I think it's a great, a great analogy that I have continued to use uh, in my, even in my ministry. Um, so, uh, so Karen and I, uh, we both graduated from JMU, and uh, we lived in Harrisonburg for a while, eventually made it to seminary, came back. I served as an intern at Covenant in Harrisonburg and then as a pastor in Florida and Arkansas before receiving a call to go to Japan uh, as missionaries. Uh, we serve in Chiba, Japan. Chiba, if you've never heard of it, it's part of the Tokyo metro area. Uh, it's the largest metro area in the world with around 38 million people. So by comparison, uh, if you combine the population of Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Washington, D.C., that's about 38 million people. So it's an enormous area. We serve there. Um, We actually arrived uh, on Father's Day three years ago. Um, So it's been exactly three years that we've been serving there, and we're getting ready to come home. Uh, to the United States for one year, um, and uh, actually July 3rd, the whole family will be flying back, and uh, so I look forward to, uh, to coming again and uh, with my whole family and sharing more with you about uh, our ministry in Japan and what we've been doing, um, and, uh, and just worshiping with you often. We're, we're hoping to, to live in the Harrisburg area, um, so we're searching for a house right now. But, uh, so it's nice today to be able to preach without a translator. Um, Often missionaries, when they, when they go to the field for the first time, they, they spend the first uh, year to two only learning language. We did not do that. We, we kind of hit the ground running, doing ministry that's English-based or with translation. Um, and uh, we do plan to, to do language when, when we return uh, after a year. Um, of course, my kids are better at Japanese than I am, as you would expect. But, uh, you know, one of the things that's really hard about trying to learn a new language is how often the, the words, they sound similar, and they're kind of confusing. So one in Japanese, uh, so kodomo is child, and kudamono is fruit. And so I've often told Japanese people I enjoy eating children. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, so I don't know, it's been a bit of a challenge to the ministry, I guess. But uh, You know, it, it's, it's a strange thing living overseas in a different culture for a period of time. And some of you may have experienced that. Um, there's something they call third culture kid. That's for children who, who grow up in a, another culture from their own. They, they don't quite feel like their home culture, but they don't feel like they fit in their host culture either. And, and, but for Karen and I as adults also, we, we experienced this same thing. Um, you know, when I left for Japan and, and came back, my, I was gone two years before the first time I, I, I set foot in, in the United States again. And I remember I was in the Atlanta airport, and I was looking around and thinking, Americans are so loud. And, and it was like, I'm not an American anymore. 
there's this, this sense of um, your identity begins to change over time. Um, when you just you don't feel exactly like you fit in any place anymore. And that's a little bit of, of what I want to talk about in the message today. Um, so this sermon is it's from uh, the book of Acts. Um, we're looking at the church in Antioch. Um, you know, one of our primary ministries, uh, Mike mentioned in his prayers, we work with uh, Alive International, which is a, a bilingual international congregation um, in Japan there. And, and in many ways, our congregation is similar to the church in Antioch. It's a very diverse group. Um, now, this passage takes place after uh, persecution broke out against the early church. Persecution was designed to stop the church from growing, but had the opposite effect. It spread the people as they fled the persecution. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. Of course, some of the persecution was led by Saul, and you, you'll remember him. He eventually became a Christian. name was eventually changed to Paul. Um, but uh, when he first became a Christian, and, and he'd been persecuting the church, and he, he went to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, but they were frightened of him. They didn't even want to meet with him because they knew he'd been persecuting the church. And there was another disciple named Barnabas who reached out to him, welcomed him in, introduced him to the apostles. Paul began teaching and sharing the gospel, and the Jews who'd been his former allies were very upset about that. They, they decided to kill him. But Paul escaped and uh, headed off to Tarsus, his hometown, where he lived for many years in relative obscurity. That's where this passage is going to pick up. So this is Acts 11, 19 through 30, and also 13, 1 to 3. And would you please stand as you're able for the reading of the word? <clears throat> now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, one coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Monoton, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless now uh, the hearing and the preaching of your word uh, Father, would you speak through me today, and Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to understand and to believe, to be sanctified by your gospel, we pray in Christ's name, amen. 
Please be seated. If I'd ask the question, what are you? I wonder what you would say. Maybe you would answer by telling me about your job. I'm a businessman. I'm an engineer. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm a student. I'm a pastor or missionary. Maybe you'd answer by your family role. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a husband. I'm a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Maybe you'd answer with your hobby. I'm a musician. I'm a football player. I'm a runner. I'm a gamer. I'm a hokey. I'm a wahoo. I'm a duke. Maybe it would be your nationality or your race. I'm an American. I'm Japanese. I'm Mexican. I'm Norwegian. I'm white. I'm African American. I'm Asian. I'm Hispanic. Maybe your identity is defined by your status. I'm rich. I'm, I'm poor. I'm the boss. I'm the, the low man on the totem pole. Maybe it would be your politics. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm liberal. I'm conservative. I'm moderate. I'm an independent. You know, identity often drives us apart. If you look at the world, basically any culture, people are separated by these kinds of differences. We tend to seek out people who are similar to us and avoid those who are different. Because it's easier to relate to and to understand people who are like us. And it's hard to relate to people who are different. You don't have to go any further than Facebook to see that this is true. But what this passage shows is that the church doesn't have to be that way. You look at the church in Antioch. You see, the gospel crosses first geographic and national barriers. Verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So if I was drawing a, a picture of sort of the Mediterranean Ocean here, you'd have Jerusalem's down here and then Phoenicia's along the coast and Cyprus was an island out in the Mediterranean. Antioch was up further north. It mentions also Cyrene. Cyrene is down here in North Africa in modern-day Libya. In Acts 13, when it describes the, the leaders of the church, it mentions Barnabas. Barnabas was a Levite, so Jewish, from Cyprus. So he was part of the Jewish diaspora, no longer living in Jerusalem, but spread over the world. Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger is a Latin word that means black. He was likely from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, also from Africa. Monoton, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Here's a guy who grew up in Jerusalem alongside the royal family. Saul, another Jew from Tarsus. It's an extremely diverse group. So in the early church, you had people crossing geographic and national barriers to share the gospel. 
We also see the gospel crosses language barriers. Verse 19 says, at first they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. But then in 20 it says, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now the Hellenists were people who spoke Greek. And every time I preach in Japan, I'm reminded how much of a challenge it is to cross language barriers in trying to share the gospel. Maybe it was similar. I often, I will preach with a, with a translator next to me. I'll, I'll say a line and then they'll translate it for me. Maybe that's how they did it. Or maybe they did the very difficult work of learning another language in order to speak to people in their own heart language. I can testify how hard that is. We also see the gospel crosses cultural barriers. You see, the Hellenists not only spoke a different language, but they were culturally Greek. When you're trying to bring people together from two different cultures, it's extremely difficult. Americans, uh, so, sorry, the, the, the church that I serve in, this Alive International, um, we have Americans, Japanese, Filipinos, Australians, Koreans, Congolese, uh, Chinese, Russians. They've all been there. It's, it's really hard because we think differently, not just our, our language, but our, our culture is different. We have different values, different understandings of what is rude or polite, different ways of displaying our emotions, different worldviews. It takes grace and, and patience and a sense of humor to do that. We also see in Antioch that the gospel crosses economic barriers. In 29 it says, uh, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. You see, you have a church with resources supplying a church that doesn't have the resources. Missional giving, crossing boundaries. But not only that, notice it says everyone gave according to his ability. See, everyone in the church was generous, but some people had more ability and some people had less. Within the church, there were rich and there were poor. This is what I think makes the church in Antioch so amazing. People came together despite differences in geography, language, cultural background, education, race, economic status. What do you call a group like that? I don't think they had a suitable term. There wasn't a category to put them in. Imagine someone coming to a meeting of this, of this church in Antioch and saying, what are those people? Are they Jews? No. Well, some of them are, but not all of them. Are they Greeks? No. Some, but not all. Are they rich? Are they poor? Are they foreigners? Are they locals? Some of them are, are all those things, but, but none of those labels defines all of them. Well, what are they? Second half of verse 26 says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I wonder if maybe one of the reasons for that is because there wasn't any other word that could be used to describe this group. You know, I'm convinced that part of the reason that the church grew so rapidly was because of this. That people saw something different. 
They saw how the gospel could transcend all those barriers that usually kept people apart. And I think it's no coincidence that it's Antioch that we see sending out the first missionaries to the world. Because they were not focused on being with people just like themselves. The gospel compelled them to step outside their comfort zones and to be in relationship across those barriers. Famous uh, pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. So often we think in the church, if, if we could be more like the world, then they would come. But no, no, he says, when we're absolutely different, when we show that unique character of living out the gospel, that is when the world is most attracted to the church. You know, maybe you're here today and you're not really sure what it even means to be a Christian. And if I asked you, what are you? You might answer many things, but Christian is not one of them. Well, I'm glad you're here. Or maybe you're here today and you are a Christian, but when you hear that question, what are you, there's something else that comes to mind, something else that defines you. I had a friend in, in college, and uh, I think maybe if you'd asked her, what are you, she might have said, I'm a murderer. She was um, in high school, and uh, she had a boyfriend, and she got pregnant. And uh, she was very young. She wasn't ready for a child. She, she was an athlete. She thought, if I have a baby, it's going to ruin my life. And although it went against her faith, against her convictions, she chose to have an abortion. And that was something that she carried with her for years. That it, it defined who she was. You know, for a lot of us, our past mistakes define us. Or our losses define us. Or the things that we have suffered define us. On the other hand, maybe, maybe you think that it's the great things that you've accomplished that define you. Or that there's some part of your identity that makes you special. You're probably most of you have seen the movie Toy Story. Yeah, it's one of those great movies that it's a kid movie, but adults can watch it and enjoy it uh, nearly as much or more so than the, than the kids. Has anyone out there seen Toy Story? Anyone? Okay, good. It's a movie about toys who come to life when the humans aren't there, right? The story of Sheriff Woody, played by Tom Hanks. And uh, he's, Sheriff Woody has been the favorite toy of, uh, of Andy, the, the boy, for many, many years. But then a new toy shows up, and he's cool. He's new. He's a space ranger. Buzz Lightyear, played by Tim Allen. But see, the thing is, Buzz doesn't know that he's a toy. He thinks he's the real Buzz Lightyear. And Woody argues with him. He says, you are a toy. You aren't the real Buzz Lightyear. You're an action figure. You are a child's plaything. 
Buzz says, I am the real Buzz Lightyear, and I can fly. Well, there's a point later in the movie where Buzz and Woody have uh, their next door, the neighbor's house, Sid, the, the villain of the, of the story. He destroys toys. and um, There's a point where uh, Buzz is going through the hallway, and, and he hears a transmission. Come in, Buzz Lightyear. This is Star Command. And he's excited, and he goes running into the room to, to, to receive this transmission from his uh, his, his, the people that have, that have sent him, right? But he doesn't find a, a radio transmitter. It's a television. And there's a commercial playing for him. And the, and the, and the, the voiceover says, Buzz Lightyear, the world's greatest superhero, now the world's greatest toy. And Buzz has this moment of starting to comprehend. He, he looks down at his arm, he opens his little communicator thing, and he sees written, made in Taiwan. The commercial ends with rows and rows of identical Buzz Lightyear action figures lined up in the toy store. And he realizes, I'm not special. This identity that I thought was, was so great, it's, it's, it's false. And there's a, there's a partner in the commercial where there's, you know, a kid is, is, is kind of flying the action figure. But there's this word across the bottom, and then a voice says, not a flying toy. So Buzz, at first he's, he's, he's cast down, but then, but then he looks up. And the music's playing, a sad music, and then it starts playing, you know, this happy music again. And he says, no, I can fly. I know that that's who I am. He starts to climb up on the, the stair railing. There's a window. And he looks at that window, and he puts his wings out. And he puts his arms in the air. Do you know what he says? To infinity and beyond. And he jumps. And for a moment, he looks like he's flying. He's going towards that window. But then his momentum starts to fade. And he starts to drop. And you see his face as he goes through a look of shock and then fear. And he falls down the stairs. lands on the ground. And as the camera fades out, you see his face and you see his body with his legs bent the wrong directions and his left arm broken off his body. It's a picture of someone who has lost all identity. Who is the thing that, that gave them meaning in life has been robbed. And he's left with nothing, feeling worthless. You know, every one of us comes to that place in our lives when we feel broken and crushed and lost. 
Because if you have some identity that defines you, the day will come when you will be disappointed. You'll be fired from your job. Or you'll get too old. Or your candidate will lose the election. Or you will fail. And none of those identities from earlier can give you ultimate meaning. And when you fail and when you fall, what is left of your identity? And maybe if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't really know what he's talking about. I've never experienced that. Can I tell you, my friend, you still think you're a space ranger. You're fooling yourself. But you know, the important thing is not what you are. It's who you belong to. So later in the movie, Buzz and, and Woody are, are, are talking, and you know, Buzz, he says, I, I'm, I'm worthless. Nothing matters. Years of academy training, wasted. And Woody says, you do matter. Because there is a, a boy next door who loves you. And he wrote his name on you. And Buzz looks down at his foot and he sees written in a child's marker, Andy. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That name, Christian, it means Christ one. The ones who belong to Christ. If you are a Christian, it means you belong to Jesus. Revelation 3.12, Jesus is talking to the church in Philadelphia. He says, I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and my own name. He places his name upon us. Not only that, Isaiah 49, 16, God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. We're going to sing after the sermon's over. We're going to sing the song, Before the Throne of God Above. That song has the words, my name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. It means he will never forget those who belong to him. Christian, this is the only label. This is the only identity that truly matters. No matter what happens in life, my friends, do not forget to whom you belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just confess that there are so many identities in this life that we cling to. God, things that we think give us meaning. God, we confess that they are fraudulent. They're meaningless. God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to redeem us, to purchase us, to make us his own. You have engraved our names upon your hands. You will never forget us. Never forsake us. Thank you for your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.